0: Well, today I want to take a few minutes to talk to you about the power of your past. About the power of your past. Today's message is titled, The Power of the Past. Not long ago, I was reading the Gospel of Luke, and I was in one of my favorite passages. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. It says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I just love this whole turn of events, the whole story here. Now, Levi Levi is uh, also called Matthew. He wrote the book of Matthew, one of the four gospels in the Bible. Uh, he was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. Levi and Matthew are the same person. And Matthew, Levi, started out as a tax collector. Now, tax collector. Tax collectors, well, that, that in the year 30 AD, tax collector was a dirty word. These people were the worst. Nobody liked them. Nobody wanted anything to do with them. They they had taken a career path that was not an honorable one. These guys were considered faithless, immoral, disloyal, crooks. You could tell what people thought about tax collectors just by looking at how Jesus talked about them. Even Jesus wasn't so sure he liked these guys. In the Sermon on the Mount, when he tells people to love their enemies, he says... Love your enemies, not just the people who love you. And then he says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? Jesus is like, look, you you can go for like the bare minimum and be like a tax collector, or you can do what I'm teaching you how to do. The language here isn't uh, insinuating that these guys are of a high standing in their society. Matthew 18, Jesus is outlining what to do when someone in your faith community is causing trouble or disunity. And Jesus outlines a process where first you talk to the person, and then you bring in a third party. And if that doesn't work, you bring them before the church. And if that doesn't work, Jesus says, If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Mmm. Bringing some punishment down on these people. Some discipline from the church. If you can't get these folks to repent and bring this conflict to an end, then they're just like tax collectors to you now. Now, to the people that we're hearing, Jesus loves tax collectors. He called one to be his disciple. But to the people that he's communicating to, the second that he says the word tax collector, it it elicits a a response inside of them that, that kind of sends them backwards. You know, like, oh... A tax collector. Tax collectors are somebody that you don't want to associate with. Tax collectors are generally bad people. They were Jewish citizens who had left their faith and went to work for the Roman government. Now the Jewish people considered Rome to be a foreign oppressive government that God would eventually annihilate. They look back at their history and every time until the exile of Babylon, every time that a foreign government invaded Israel, God would annihilate them after the Israelites had learned their lesson. God had prophesied about a Messiah that was going to come and deliver them. He was, the, the prophets all spoke of Jesus and the way that he was going to deliver their hearts. But the people misinterpreted it to believe that God was going to annihilate the Romans. They hated the Romans. And a tax collector was a Jewish person. These are, not, these are not made giant cities for the most part. There's all these villages with tax collectors in them. And the tax collector is a guy you grew up at Sunday school with. It's a guy that you went to synagogue, you were at his bar mitzvah, and now he is out here robbing you blind on behalf of the government you believe God is going to annihilate. They did not like these people. Tax collectors tax collectors. And tax collectors would often add money onto the taxes they owed in order to get richer. They would steal from their neighbors and the people they grew up in church with. And we know this is true because of a guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He climbed, anyways, Zacchaeus, it says that when he, he was a tax collector, that when he gave his life to following Jesus, it says that he repaid everyone that he had robbed or dishonestly taken money from four times over. Now, I when I read that passage, I'm like, wow, man, that's incredible. What a change, his heart. But did it say four times over? You're telling me that this wee little man had that much money in his bank account? Dude was robbing people blind. That's what tax collectors are. They're dishonest. They're, they're not liked. They work for the government that most Jewish people hate. And Levi is sitting there, Matthew, he's sitting there collecting taxes for the Roman government, just like he's been doing for who knows how long. Who knows what got him to that place, what decisions, what choices, the, the, the things that went through his head that led to him being a tax collector. But now this man, Jesus, is walking by, and Jesus sees my guy Levi sitting out there and says, Levi, get up and come follow me and is sitting there and he's got his wallet and his keys and his phone sitting on the desk you know he's got his notebook there where he's writing down everybody's taxes and Jesus says that and my guy doesn't even pick up his sunglasses he just gets up and goes and follows Jesus because all of his life he has been waiting for a moment like this one and all the money all the stuff that Rome was able to give him only made him feel emptier and emptier and emptier and now he has the opportunity to pursue something that matters. And he takes it. And then look at what happens next. After all that, it says that he throws a banquet and he invites all the other tax collectors and even some sinners for good measure. And those people get to meet Jesus as well. Here's the message today. If it wasn't for Matthew's shameful past, all these other people would never have had the opportunity to meet Jesus. There is power in your past to unlock the calling of your future. All the bad decisions that led Matthew to that tax collector's booth, they were still bad decisions. But they had now been redeemed in Jesus' name and now Matthew had access to people that none of the other followers of Jesus had access to. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted. He says, I did not come here for the righteous. I did not come here for the healthy. I came for the sick. These are the people I'm after. So what does that mean for me? It means that whatever choices I've made, whatever horrible things I've been through, whatever exists in my past that I may be ashamed of, gives me unique credentials to do exactly what Jesus has called me to do today. This is the message of Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61 is a special passage of scripture. In Luke chapter four, Jesus is in his hometown in the synagogue and they ask him, it's kind of like he just got back from Bible school, you know, and they're like, hey Jesus, why don't you say the special prayer for us today? You know, this happens to me sometimes at like a family reunion. They're like, John Mark, why don't you pray for the dinner today? You're more qualified than the rest of us. And I tell him, well, I have to charge a fee if I do that. I'm a professional. (laughs) And so they asked Jesus to get up and read, and the passage that he chooses is Isaiah 61, and he declares in that space that this passage has come true in him. So when we read Isaiah 61, we know this is the message, this is the mission statement of Jesus. And it starts, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted For the display of his splendor. And they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. And they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. God is very aware of your pain and your brokenness and your imperfections and your weaknesses and your mourning and your weariness. And Jesus came that you might be restored and be made new and whole again. And he didn't come to abolish your past. He came to renew it and give you the opportunity to use it in Jesus' name. To be a firm planting before the Lord and to rebuild the ruins in the lives of others. Romans eight twenty eight says, "'We know all things work together for good, "'for them who love God, "'to them who are called according to his purpose.'" Paul is not telling you in this passage that everything in your life will be good. It doesn't mean bad things won't happen to you. It means that when those things do happen to you or because of you, that God can still use them for good. There is power in your past to unlock the potential of your future. And so what do you do with that information? How do you use your past the way that God dreams you'll use your past? Uh, Well, I believe it begins as simply as reconciling your past. First thing that you got to do is reconcile your past. Reconcile your past. God will use your past, but first you have to confront it. Reconcile it. Heal from it. Find freedom from it. Forgive. Accept. Jesus declares that he will use the people he came to save to rebuild ancient ruins long devastated, but first he is going to bind up their broken hearts, set them free, and comfort them in their mourning. You've got to deal with your past in order to see your future. What this looks like depends on what is in your past that God is going to use. I'll give you three examples. Maybe one registers for you, or maybe all three. I am sorry about my hair, I need a haircut. It gets in my face, and I am unable to concentrate. So if I'm touching it too much, I want you to know that if you come next week and I have a mullet, it is purely for practical reasons. I need my hair out of my eyes. All right, first thing is this. Does anyone have a beret? You've got to kill your sin patterns. You've got to kill your sin. Uh... Here's what I mean, maybe you relate to the story of Matthew. Maybe you look at patterns in your life, the choices that you've made, who you've become, and you feel like the kind of person that doesn't belong in the same room as Jesus. I invited a guy to church once a, a while back, and I'll never forget his response. I invited him to come join us for a Easter service or something like that, and he looked at me and he said, Pastor, I'd I, I love to, and you seem like a nice guy, but man, the second I walked through those doors, the whole place would catch on fire. <laughs> and maybe, maybe you, you Can relate to this uh, sentiment. Maybe it took you a long time to get in here today because you were concerned about what are the church people going to think about me? Well, what's going to happen if God finds out about me? Like God's only going to find out about you in this high school auditorium. Maybe you wonder what's going to be like if the people find out about all these skeletons I've got in my closet. this guy said, man, the whole church will burn down if I walk through the doors. Maybe you struggled with just a history of bad decisions. Maybe you struggle with addiction or you've got a history with addiction. Maybe you've made a lot of mistakes in life. Just you just, it's one mistake after another. Maybe there's just things that you just know that sin is what we call it in the church, but the wrong thing. You've just been doing the wrong thing, hurting people, hurting yourself. And if that's you, I want you to know that I believe it's time for you to move on to better decisions and a better way of living. Paul talks about this a lot. He, he called himself the chief of sinners. He started out as a Pharisee. That was a, a religious leader in the Jew, a section of Jewish faith. And uh, what, one of these, these Pharisees were real proud of the things that they knew. And Jesus would often talk about the pride that they had. Paul was a very proud Pharisee, and, and in the first century after Jesus's resurrection, the Pharisees were hunting down Christians to put an end to Christianity, and Paul was one of the leaders of that hunt. In Acts chapter 8, we see a story of the very first Christian martyr. A man named Stephen is stoned to death for following Jesus, and Acts tells us that Paul was there, egging them on, approving of this moment. He feels like a murderer, and like the, just the worst kind of sinner imaginable. He's He he talks about himself in this way. And here's what Paul says in his masterwork about sin in Romans chapter six. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. He talks a lot in this language of death and life. We die to the old me and we are resurrected as a new me. For if we've been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. He's using this kind of extreme language to help you understand that if you're struggling in a life of sin patterns, you've got to kill it. Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. And if your past is wrapped up, if your present, is wrapped up in sin. Two things to take away from this big passage from the Apostle Paul. The first thing is you've got to let it die. Whatever it takes, put that life behind you. For some of us, that's as simple as having good accountability and vulnerability in our lives. People who know what we are likely to get into. People who know the bad decisions that we are prone to make. Maybe you have become a master at curating a version of yourself that you want people to believe is real. It might just be time to kill that guy. To let people know who you really are. To trust that if you stop lying to people about who you are and who you've been, you will still find people who love you. That's what the church is all about. Accepting us despite the mistakes that we've made. For some of us, it's as simple as good accountability. But for others of us, we require intensive treatment, therapy, Maybe even more than that. Whatever your pathway to freedom is, do whatever you have to do to make this sin die. Second, use your past. Don't dwell on your past. Here's what I mean: By all, mistake, by all accounts, your mistakes that you've made have accrued you a debt. Anybody here? Have a debt? Don't raise your hands. While you have it, when you have a debt, an open debt, you're constantly making payments on that debt, trying to chip away at it. You ever have a high interest debt? You ever have $10,000 of credit card debt? Don't raise your hands. Please, if you do, we have some financial counselors available after service. 30% interest will really hurt those payments though, won't it? You keep making payments and they're not really doing anything to the balance that you owe. And then imagine you have this big $10,000 credit card debt. Somebody comes and pays it on your behalf. Praise Jesus. This person is the greatest who's ever lived. That's what Jesus does for us with our sin. He removes the debt that we owed, And that account is now closed and paid. Once I pay a credit card debt, it's still on my credit report, but now instead of Open and revolving, it is paid and closed. You've got to stop living in the mindset that your debt is open and requires payments, and you got to start living like it is closed and paid in full. Reconcile it. God has forgiven you, the debt is settled. Forgive yourself. Go to therapy and learn how to shed the guilt and shame and pain and accept what you've been given. Paul says in First Timothy, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul's aware of the cost and the depth of the sin that he committed. In the Christian church, in our our culture, one of the things that we do is say that once you become a Christian, your past is blotted out and forgiven. It's forgotten that God forgets your past. That's beautiful poetic language, but it's not exactly theologically correct. God is aware of your past. It, It doesn't disappear. You don't hide it. You don't put it in a drawer and pretend it never existed. What we see in scriptures is that your past becomes the most powerful tool that God has now to use within you that he has a plan for it, that he can take what was bad and make it good. That's what we see in scriptures. Paul is aware of the terrible things that he's done, but he is now aware of how God is using him in spite of it and through it. Okay, so category one is our sin, is our sin. Here's the next category, bitterness. It's time to let it go. There are a lot of us who have lived a past filled with hurt, delivered to us by others. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe you were bullied. Maybe you were abandoned. Maybe you didn't feel loved. Maybe the person you loved didn't love you back. Maybe you were betrayed. Maybe you were betrayed by the person that you loved. Maybe you weren't seen or appreciated. Maybe you found out that somebody just wasn't who you thought they were. Bitterness is one of the most shared aspects of the human experience. You are not the only person in this room who knows what it feels like to be angry deep down in your bones. And that part of your story is your connection to a lot of different hearts in this world. It gives you access to help them understand and deal with their pain. It gives you the opportunity to rely on God in a unique way because he is the only one who would never ever let you down. But all of that only comes once you dig out the root of bitterness. In Hebrews, it says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Isn't the language here interesting? See to it. That no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that grace is available, and that no root of bitterness springs up. When we hold on to bitterness, we are placing the grace of God in a box and not giving it to ourselves or to the person that hurt us. And like a weed, that bitterness digs roots deep into our souls that infect a lot of different areas of our lives, defiling us and robbing us of the ministry that our past gives us access to. We have to dig it out. Paul says in Ephesians 4, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Get rid of that clamor along with all malice be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I don't know what clamor means either. How? <laughs> Pray every day for God to change your heart and let you release it. Go see a counselor, work out the roots, let it go. Understand that by releasing your bitterness, you are not saying that what happened to you is okay or that the person who did it wasn't wrong. They're not getting away with it. You are getting away from it. You are not freeing them. You are freeing yourself. Release the bitterness. And the last area where your past could unlock your future is in the subject of pain. Pain. Trauma. Depression. Anxiety. Loss. Pain. Pain. The worst loss that you've ever been through places you in a category that nobody except understands, except for the ones that do. So much pain there, so much need for comfort, for community, for someone who can listen, who can hear, who can understand. If you've lived it, if you've lived through a season of real pain, you know that every experience is different. And sometimes the last thing you want to hear is, I know what you're going through. But someone, sometimes just the presence from someone who does know what you're going through makes all the difference. You might be in a club that nobody wants to belong to, but it exists nonetheless. Jesus said he came to comfort those who mourn. And he wants to use you to accomplish that promise. Maybe you've struggled with depression anxiety. Maybe you've been through self-harm. Maybe you've hated yourself. Maybe you've been paralyzed by your anxiety. That if that's you, and now you're living on the other side of it, do not hide this part of your story out of shame and fear. Part of what keeps people in these places is the feeling that there is nobody who understands them and that they are all alone. And the reason that we feel so alone is because the enemy puts that idea in our heads and because those of us who have been through it hide it like it never happened. Reconcile your past and put that shame away. Learn to be vulnerable because people need to hear your story in order to know that there is hope. Second Corinthians chapter one says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God when you go through those seasons and you are comforted by God, he is giving you an understanding of his comfort so that you can deliver it to others. There is a purpose in your pain. Reconcile your past first so that God can begin to use it. Second thing, we use our past by getting planted in the present. We got to get planted in the present. The Lord said through the prophet Isaiah that they may be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. I am one of the Asheville transplants. We actually moved here from California, so the worst kind of transplant. And I know something about, (laughs) I know something, sorry man, I know something about oak trees, okay? I know we got oak trees here in Asheville. We got these big tall oak trees, the kind with acorns, and they've got these little stringy things in the beginning of summer that fall on my car and get stuck in my windshield wipers so that when it rains, I can't see anything. I know that there's oak trees here, but the oak trees that we have down in Charleston are superior oak trees, okay? By like a thousand times they are greater. A live oak tree, that's what we call live oaks. They don't lose their leaves. They don't make the mess in my driveway that my oak trees make up here in the mountains. And a live oak tree is an interesting tree because of the root system that it has. These trees, they're in these areas that receive flooding and hurricanes all the time. and So they got to have good roots and a live oak, its roots can go about four feet down, which is a pretty deep root, but those roots spread out about ni- up to 90 feet. In most live oaks, their root system is two to three times wider than the boughs on the tree. They've got good roots over and over again in Scripture. We see this allegory, this illustration of a tree or a root system when the Bible is talking about how important it is for you to be in the Word of God and in the practices of God and around the people of God. We need strong roots so that we can withstand the storms that come our way. We need strong roots that are planted in the right places so that we are able to stand firm and grow in the way that we need to grow even when our environment gets hostile around us. Once we go through the process of reconciling our past, it is time to get planted in the church and with people and with the people of God and within the practices of Jesus so that we can know him better and be used by him more. The psalmist writes in Psalm 92, verse 12, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. In the places and the practices of Jesus. I would encourage you to join Practicing the Way and learn how to pursue God better through prayer and scripture and fasting and Sabbath and worship and community and hospitality and generosity. If you don't know what Practicing the Way is and you're new here, that that is something that we started in January of this year. And really, it's just a system of learning and living the practices of Jesus. Uh, The old school, we called them spiritual disciplines. We need to get some Dallas Willard Richard Foster spiritual disciplines Disciplines in our hearts and in our lives. They gotta surround us so that we can get to know God better and better. You don't form a relationship by want to. This is how middle school boys form a relationship, okay? I want to know that girl. I want, I want to. Are you going to? Nuh-uh. <laughs> but I want to. You can want to know God all you want, but you're never going to get firmly planted in who he is until you start to build that relationship by being disciplined in the practices of Jesus. Practicing the way our program for that is on the last Tuesday of every month. It kicks back off again in August. Uh, we meet for a large group gathering where we'll just teach on, the, on, on one of the practices of Jesus. Uh, we've got worship coming up, I think, in August. And then from there, you'll go into a small group. And I just need you to know that You need to be planted in a small group because you need people to encourage you, to admonish you, to go through life alongside in order to grow closer to Jesus. You need to be known. I think that real growth happens in a circle, not in a row, that you need to be known. And so our practicing the way folks go to a large group gathering, the following weeks in between large group gatherings, you'll be in a small group where you will learn that practice. You'll talk to the people in your group about how you implemented it that week, what the rubs were. You'll learn more things about it. You'll, you'll talk about what's been easy about it, how you've been blessed about it. You talk about how it's hard and how it's, it's difficult. You got the fasting practice. You needed that small group to get through that practice. And, and so uh, the practicing the way program is a great way for you to start to get planted in the Lord, study God's word, speak to him in prayer every single day, form an intimate relationship with God. And then I would encourage you that you need to get planted in the church. You need to get planted in the church. You have experiences in your past. The whole point of this message is that there are things that you have been through that make you have access to people I do not have access to. The church was never meant to be about one person or one personality reaching a mass group of people it's not what it is it's a body the bible talks about it like a body and that just like a body has different parts that all have a different purpose we all have a different past we have different giftings we have different passions different things that we're good at that gives us access to people that those around us may not have access to so that we can use what God has done in our lives to help them understand and expose people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You get to bring the gospel to people I can't. I get to bring the gospel to people you can't. And together, we have a shot at reaching our city for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how it works. You can't do it on your own. You weren't meant to. You aren't supposed to. You need to be planted in the church. Be a part of it. And that doesn't just mean attending. we got to use our gifts together. Come alongside the church. Partner with us in serving. Join the dream team. Be a part of the mission. Tell people about it. Find somebody gifted differently than you and partner with them to make a difference in the city that we're in. Get planted. Get planted last thing is this find others like you mary magdalene was one of the followers of jesus who was a prostitute when he found her once he did she went out and found more people like her nobody was better equipped to reach them than she was andrew was a follower of john the baptist he was a fisherman One day he heard John declare that Jesus was the Lamb of God. And it says he first found his own brother, Simon, another fisherman and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Andrew and Peter found more fishermen. Matthew went out and find more found more tax collectors and invited them to meet Jesus over and over and over again in scriptures these people that Jesus calls all with wildly different backgrounds and pasts they find the people that they're uniquely equipped to reach and they bring them before Jesus so who are you uniquely equipped to bring the gospel to. I know that my story has brought me here. Growing up, I felt like I didn't fit in at church. I was a troublemaker, always getting in trouble with them deacons. I was bullied at the youth group, made to feel less than everybody else. It all made me feel like an outcast, like I didn't belong. And so here we try hard to make you feel like you belong, no matter who you are, to create an environment where outcasts feel wanted and welcome and seen, where you can come with your doubt, your insecurities, and understand who God is and how deeply he cares for you. I know what it feels like not to fit in, and I hope you don't ever have that experience here. I also know what it feels like to struggle with severe depression. I know how it feels to wake up and struggle to get out of bed. I know how it feels to be overwhelmed by the pain of living. To put your worst moments on repeat in your mind. I know how it feels to feel like there's no goodness in me or nothing worth giving this life. I know what it feels like to believe that all I have to offer the world is pain and that it'd be better if I wasn't here. When I was 20 years old, I attempted to take my life. gun didn't work. So I know what it feels like to surrender to death. But because of that, I also know the goodness of God the pathway to experiencing life. I know that when you can't see it or feel it, not even sure if you believe in it, I know that there is hope. I know where joy is when you're in those spaces and how to get back to it. I know how to surrender everything that I am to Jesus because I understand what it means to surrender your life. I learned the power of vulnerability. And I know the hard work that brings me to freedom. And so here I am, leading in my present as a product of how God has redeemed my past. And I just cannot wait to see the way that he will redeem yours. He has a dream for your life to take the worst moments that are behind you and use them to unlock the best moments that are ahead of you. There are broken hearts in this room that only you know how to bind back up. There are cages in this room that you know where the keys are to lead them to freedom. God is using my past here in my present and he can use yours as well. If you're in here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, that's step number one. The Bible tells us that God cares so much for you and wanted relationship with you so deeply that he sent his son to die for you so that every mistake that you've made, all of it, be forgiven, reconciled in Jesus' name. And Jesus took all of that upon himself on the cross and then he came back to life again so that you could experience new life in him. And once we experience that new life in Jesus, then he begins the work of healing, of freedom, of putting the pieces back together so that we can see how he's going to take our past and use it to unlock the calling of our future. But it begins by just accepting this free gift that he's offered you. He's holding his hands out and saying, will you join me? And entering into a relationship with Jesus is really just about reaching out, taking his hand, and saying, yes, I will. There's no cost to you. You don't have to have it right today. You don't have to have it figured out today. You can enter into a relationship with him exactly as you came in here into this space and the work comes next. And so if you're ready to do that, every head bowed, every eye closed, you just pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my mistakes. Forgive me for my past. I believe that you have made a way for me to have hope for my future. I believe that you came to rescue and save me. And so all that I am and all that I've done, I lay it down at your feet and give myself to you. All that I am from this day on, I'm yours in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.